Chapter 12 and verses 38 to 42. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 to 42. Matthew 12, 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the, in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. And now I'd ask you to turn to Luke chapter 11, and we're going to look at the same scene from Luke's perspective Luke chapter 11, verses 29 to 32. And while the crowds were thickly gathered together, Jesus began to say, This is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. Queen of the South will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. How does this passage apply to you and I this morning? I want to just look somewhere else first. Over the years, various unusual phenomena have occurred that some declare to be the manifestation of the glory of God. The manifestation means the making visible of the glory of God. For example, you might have heard of gold dust. Gold dust appearing during worship times and coating the hands and the feet, or sorry, the hands and the faces, maybe the feet too, of those who are participating in those specific worship services. And no explanation is given to this phenomenon except to state, they state that God is manifesting himself to us. And some reports have even indicated the, the presence of imitation diamonds suddenly appearing and precious stones. And some people have even had gold fillings appear in their teeth. You might have heard of these. We have these reports coming in from all over the globe and witnesses say that it draws them closer to God. Could these signs be true manifestations of God or His presence? It's a very interesting observation that at no time has any of these worshippers that has been showered by gold dust 
ever produced any genuine gold. Variety, a variety of laboratory tests have shown this gold to be fine plastic dust. And the diamonds have proved to be imitation diamonds. And the gold fillings have been consistently verified as having been put there before the time by dentists. And so a couple of questions surface. Ask yourself this. If God were to reveal himself to believers in a gold cloud, would he, the God who created real gold, manifest himself with cheap plastic substitute dust? Or imitation diamonds, why would he? And if this God were to take the time to fill a bad tooth with gold, why wouldn't the God who heals, Jehovah Rapha, why wouldn't he simply just heal the tooth? doesn't make sense, you see. Would that not be a far greater sign? The Lord God Almighty can manifest himself in any way he chooses, right? The Psalms say that. It says, the Lord is in the heavens, he can do what he likes. Well, very true. And so the Lord previously appeared in a burning bush. It's not usual. He appeared as tongues of fire above these people. But here's the truth, you see. God will never go outside of his revealed nature and his character as revealed in the Holy Scriptures to us. He would never do that. The answer is he would emphatically not ever use those signs. Why? Because if he did go outside of the revealed scripture he's given to us, immediately we lose our trust of scripture. Because this is his revealed nature and his revealed words to us. And as soon as God goes outside of this, then how do we know when we can trust scripture and when we can't? And there must be another reason why these signs appear. Maybe they have a different source. You see, it's not my purpose this morning to malign or to question the integrity of anyone who's ever experienced the gold dusting. You might be one of those. But it would seem that Scripture stands in sharp, in sharp contrast to the claims of those who advocate such displays. There are no manifestations of this kind recorded anywhere in Scripture. And so my warning to you this morning is do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. The deceiver himself can do amazing things. But also, people who want to influence others can also do all kinds of amazing things with air vents, with dusting bulletins and pieces of paper with gold so that when you touch them, suddenly you've got gold on you later as well. All kinds of, of methods have been proved by people who've been in this and have come out. Be warned. Is this what God wants to see, these signs, to make us believe that He is true? I think there's another truth here at work. You see, God's glory was revealed in the past, and now in the present too, and in the future, in transformed lives of those who call upon the name of Jesus. If you want a real sign, look at someone's life. And you will see whether Jesus is there. You will see whether God is alive in someone. You don't need any other proof. 
And even in the, the apostles, even in the times of the apostles where those signs and those miracles happened, they were there merely to promote the resurrected Jesus Christ. And they were not there as an end in themselves, as so often happens in many of these miracle services. Now, I'm going to stop right there and say this. Do I believe that miracles and healings still happen today? Yes, I do. Very much so. But never outside of the way God reveals to us in Scripture. You see, that's exactly the point that Jesus was trying to make in this passage that we've looked at this morning, or that we will look at this morning. The scribes, the Pharisees, and this ever-growing crowd, they were coming to Jesus. They'd just seen an amazing miracle. And what did they say? All glory be to God. No, they don't say that at all. They say, show us another sign so we can believe in you. They wanted to see more signs. They'd just seen a deaf, mute demoniac healed and they want more signs. And in the past, they'd seen Jesus doing all kinds of things. They'd They'd seen him causing the lame to walk. They'd seen him healing the blind so that they could see. They'd seen him curing the sick. They'd even seen him raising the dead back to life. And now they want more signs. You see, this crowd had seen all these things. The Pharisees, the scribes, they'd seen what Jesus had just done, but they'd chosen to rather close their minds to the real answer standing in front of them. That this was the prophesied one. This was the long-awaited-for Messiah. Here he is, and it's proved in his works. No, they rather want another sign. You see, their problem is not the science. Their problem is belief and the lack of it. And as I said last time we met around this passage, there are none as blind as those who will not see. If you won't see the truth, you won't see the truth. And so to cover the blindness and to cover their excuses for unbelief, their refusal to repent of their sinful condition, they demand more signs of Jesus Christ. The craving for signs is just a symptom of a deeper issue. Unbelief. And you'll meet people who crave for signs all the time. I will emphatically state this on the basis of Scripture this morning, if someone is constantly craving for sign after sign after sign, it is a symptom of something deeper. It is a symptom of unbelief in their life. They want these things so that they can feel better about who they are as a believer. And so Jesus says to these Pharisees, He says to the scribes and to this growing crowd, No more. And he says it in even more beautiful words, Matthew twelve thirty four. You brood of vipers. I think they got the point with that one. You are an evil and an adulterous generation who are constantly craving for more signs. And I can bet you he didn't say it very quietly. He would have said this authoritatively to them. You are an evil and an adulterous generation. You've sold your souls to Satan. You've sold your souls to the lies that he creates around you. You're an adulterous generation. You're not believing. Another sign won't do it for you. I could move the very heavens in front of your eyes, but you will still not believe. You are a sinful, 
unrepentant, stone hard, you have stone hard hearts. And that is your problem. And your hearts need the repentance antidote, as we've looked at before. Your stony hearts need to be broken by belief in me, says Jesus. Now look at his grace and his mercy together. He says, I will show you one more sign, the greatest sign of all, the sign of Jonah. You want a sign, I will give you a sign. And it's a pre-planned sign that God has in his great eternal plan, and I will show it to you, the sign of Jonah. And when he said the word Jonah, those who had been listening to Jesus would have known what he was going to be speaking about, although they wouldn't have wanted to hear it, because they knew the Old Testament history much better than we know it. They knew who Jonah was, and they knew what he got up to, and what that sign was about. So what, what about Jonah? What about the sign? Now, just in brackets, Paul could do it, I can do it. Who was Jonah? You see, there are many today who would say that the book of Jonah, and if you want to look for it, by the way, here's a helpful tip. It's between the books of Obadiah and Micah. Will that help you? I hope it does. You'll find it right there. There are many today who say the book of Jonah and the historical person of Jonah was not really a historical person and that this book is just an allegory or a symbolism for us to understand. So it can teach us other things. But here Jesus emphatically says that Jonah was a historical person. He wasn't just an allegory. There was a real Jonah who lived. He was an Old Testament prophet. And he was one of the most hard-hearted and stubborn of the prophets. But God used even this hard-hearted prophet to bring a message of repentance to people. You see, what happened in the story of Jonah. I'm going to recap really quickly. You can read the whole story if you go to the books of Obadiah and Micah and look in the middle, right? So here we go. Who was Jonah? He was an Old Testament prophet who lived in a city called Joppa. And one day the Lord appeared to Jonah and said, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh, which was slightly kind of east, northeast of where Joppa was. I want you to go there. It's not a long trip. And I want you to go and take them the message that they need to repent and turn to God and be saved. Now, Jonah was a Jewish prophet. And the Ninevites were what? They were Gentiles. They were the Assyrians. They were the enemies of Israel. And so Jonah, a Jew, had to go to the enemies of Israel and bring this message of salvation. And that cut right across Jonah's crop. I won't do it, he said. I'm a Jew, they are Gentiles, I hate them, I won't take this message. Because I know, he says later, that Lord, you're a merciful God and you will forgive them. And I don't want any part of it. He's hard-hearted. And so what does he do instead of going east? He goes west. He couldn't get more opposite. He gets into a ship at Tarshish and he, he on the way to Tarshish rather, he gets into a ship at Joppa and he gets into this boat and off he is, right across the ocean. He's going to get away from doing his job. Do you think the Lord's going to leave it at that? The creator of all the universe? What's a little boat on the water team? It's actually really good because people in water don't mix too well. And so what does the Lord do? He sends a great wind across the sea as you can see Jonah. He's sleeping in this boat thinking he's getting away, right? Close your eyes, ostrich. Don't know about it. 
And suddenly this ship is about to go under. And the sailors are fearful and they cry out, what have we done wrong? And they start casting over the, um, the stuff they were carrying on their boats so that they could be saved. And in the end they realize this is something else. We must have angered the gods. And so they draw lots to find out who it is. And who does it land on? Jonah sleeping in the boat. And so they haul him out by the scruff of his neck. What have you done to get these gods angry? And Jonah says, it's not the gods. It is the God of Israel that I've angered. He realizes what is wrong. And they said, well, you need to pray with us to this God of Israel so that he can save us because we're going to go under. And Jonah says, it's not going to help for you to pray. You need to throw me overboard because God is angry at me. He's judging me and you are going to go with me. And to save yourselves, throw me overboard. And at first they wouldn't and good on them. But then they do because they realize they will die. And so they throw him overboard. And immediately, Scripture says, what? The storm ceased. And what is the result of that? I don't know if you've ever picked that up. The sailors glorify this God of Israel. Alright? Wow. God is using Jonah and he hasn't said much yet. And so there Jonah goes. And this is where the historians have the problem, right? Because along comes Jonah. If, if you anything like me, when you're swimming, you go down if you don't do something about it. And there he goes down into the depths and a big fish, says Scripture. We're not told what it is. People have speculated about this. A big fish, says Scripture, came and swallowed Jonah. Now, this is where you get a little bit more of a clue of how hard-hearted he was. There he is in the middle of this fish for three days. And only after three days does he start crying out to the Lord. I would have started long before that. And there he is, crying out to the Lord, Lord, save me. I'll go. Okay, I'll go. I'll get it. And so what does God do? He causes this fish to spit Jonah out on dry land. Now, who saw that? We don't know. They've written books about it. And the next thing Jonah does is what? He goes to Nineveh. Well, he could have saved himself a lot of trouble. And he goes to Nineveh and he brings this message of repentance. And what is the reaction of the Ninevites? These hard people who hate the God of Israel, they repent. And they don't just repent. They repent in sackcloth and ash. From the king to the lowest person, they repent. And they come to the Lord in mass. Has the God of grace been on display? Yes, he has. Now, that was the one part of the sign of Nineveh, you see. Firstly, it was Jonah going as a messenger. And the other, the second part of it was the message was spoken. People repented. And then the section about being in this fish. Those are all parts of the sign of Jonah. How does it put together? Well, you see, Jonah as a Jew went and he was sent by God on this mission of mercy to Israel's enemies, to the Ninevites. And as a sign of God's power and grace at work, he uses this prophet. And what do the Ninevites do? They repent. Well, what was Jesus doing? Jesus had come as a messenger from the Father to the nation of Israel and to the world. And he had brought with him a message of salvation. God had sent him on a mercy mission with this message. 
And what was their reaction? In contrast to the Gentile Ninevites who believed, these Jews would not believe Jesus and his message. And without believing Jesus and his saving message, they would certainly die. You see part of the parallel? The second part of it was, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for how many days and nights? Three days and nights. What would Jesus do? A little after this, Jesus would be killed on the cross. He would be put in a tomb. He would be there for how many days and nights? Three days. He would be in, in the tomb and then on the third day, he would get, on the third day, he would rise again. He would be resurrected, proving that he was the Messiah. And this to their own judgment. And they would remember his words. It would be another visible sign of Jesus being the Messiah. And in this way, this sign of Jonah was a warning to this generation that Jesus was here trying to speak to. And that is why Jesus says to them, you will stand in judgment. This generation will stand in judgment because I have come as the Messiah with my message and you have not heard, you have not repented, you have not believed in me. And then Jesus speaks about the coming judgment. Now, he does that quite often in Scripture. And I wonder if you've ever thought about this, the coming judgment. And no, this isn't the church where we just pe- preach about brimstone and judgment, but on the days we do speak about judgment, I want to speak about it. Jesus speaks about it here. And he speaks about it as a reality. Judgment will happen one day. It's going to happen in one of two places. It's going to happen either after you've closed your eyes in death, or if Jesus comes again, after that there will be a judgment. One of those two places it's going to be, but it's going to be the same judgment. And so Jesus says here, there will be witnesses at this judgment. What does he mean by this? Well, he says, this nation is going to be judged by two sets of witnesses. The first one is going to be the Queen of Sheba, or the Queen of the South. Your, uh, your version might say that, verse 31. You see, this was another um, a reference Jesus was making to, and the Jews there would have completely understood what he was speaking about. Way back in Solomon's time, Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. And there was this beautiful queen who lived way up in what we call now Ethiopia or Yemen. And she heard about the wisdom of Solomon. And what did she do? She traveled 2,000 plus kilometers just to hear about these rumors of this wise man and to go and sit under his teaching. Now, 2,000 kilometers is a long way to go when you've got no evidence that what you've heard is right. I mean, we take it easily today. Two hours in a jet at 900 and something kilometers an hour, that gets me 2,000 kilometers. But she had to get on a camel or a donkey or whatever it was and travel 2,000 kilometers all the way from Ethiopia to where Solomon was in Israel. She acted on what she heard without any other confirmation. Jesus is saying that was an act of faith on her behalf. It was a picture of faith. And if she could do it on something she just heard, how come you can't believe in me and I'm standing right among you? You can see me, you can touch me, you won't believe. And so the Queen of Sheba will be there on that day as a witness against your unbelief when you stand before God in judgment. You nation, 
you vipers who will not hear. And there will be a second witness, says Jesus, verse 32. The men of Nineveh will stand against you on that day as well. In what way? Well, you see, these Gentiles repented. And you, God's people, will not repent. And here is the Messiah, your fellow Jews, standing right here among you. Why will you not believe? And therefore, do you see, Jesus says, another sign won't do it for you. Your hearts are what is at issue. Signs are not the issue. Unbelief is. Well, that's good and well. But what about you and me? Is Jesus saying anything to us too? I believe he is. And there are four ways that I want to show this to you this morning. The first question I want to put to you is this. How many more signs do you need to see before you believe? I'll rephrase that slightly differently. How many other excuses will you give before you believe in Jesus Christ? If you're not a believer here today, how many more sermons do you need to hear before you believe in Jesus Christ? How many more testimonies do you need to hear from people who believe before you will believe in Jesus Christ? You see, today we have the benefit of historical oversight. We've got the benefit of the whole of Scripture that's been given to us already. And still, you won't believe. You want another sign? God reveals Himself to you every single day. But are you willing to see the signs and believe? What do you mean? Well, Romans 1.20 says this, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, that is, His eternal power and His divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Who of you have ever gone into a magnificent piece of nature and you can't say, wow, you see it's reflecting something of what? The greatness of God, His glory, His creative power. When you see mercy being shown to someone, what is that reflecting? It's God's general mercy on people. It's that mercy that he puts inside other people, and even some of them are unbelievers, who show mercy to people around them. It's God portraying his qualities in people. And you see those things, and yet you will not believe. You see, the Holy Spirit and God's changing power is available to you if you would only believe. But what other signs do you need? How much more evidence do you need? I want you to ask you, I want to ask you emphatically this morning, I want to ask you these questions. Do you believe that Jesus is who he claims to be, the Messiah of God? Do you believe it? Do you believe that he died and he was resurrected on the third day? No questions asked. Do you believe? Do you believe that His promises to you will be fulfilled? Every single one of them will be fulfilled. Do you believe it in your heart? Do you believe that He can transform your life? He can make you fit for a life of eternity with Him. And we can't see that yet, but do you believe it? Because He said so. Do you believe or do you still need a sign? Do you still need a gold dust on you? You still need all these things to bring you closer to God. You see, that unbelief is sin. 
And it's the same sin the Pharisees had. So it's right here, it's well and alive today in 2014. I want to warn you of another sign. You see the sign of Jonah's being, right? Jesus died. He was resurrected on the third day and he's now at the Father's right hand. Well, here's the next sign that you will see. And every eye will see it. What is that? When the Son of Man comes again to this earth. You see, that's the, that's the next sign that we will see. And when you see that sign, here's the warning. It is too late to repent then. Because when you see Jesus appearing in the sky, there is no more time to change your mind. There is no more time then to quickly drop on your knees and do a quick prayer of confession. It won't work. It will be too late. Because Jesus will be there. You will have no more time to believe. There will be no more time to fix up your life and time to repent. You need to believe today while there is time. It's a warning from Scripture. And Jesus brings out that warning to you as well. So, how many more signs before you believe? The second question is this. How many more signs? And here I'm speaking to believers here. So, that's a lot of you over here this morning. How many more signs before you repent? What do you mean, Calvin? Well, I'll tell you. If you call upon Jesus' name, your repentance will be revealed in a transformed life. Is your life being transformed? You see, these Pharisees were unwilling to change. The crowds were unwilling to change. But what you need to see is a real sign of God at work. And that is a transformed life. And when you look at your life, you see the real sign. You don't need anything else. These are the symptoms. Do you want to know if you've got a transformed life? Here are some symptoms to look for. How quick are you to respond when a sermon or a Bible teaching points to an area in your life that needs change? How quick are you to change? Do you listen to the Spirit? Or do you put off that still small voice and you wait for the next sermon, the next reading, because that will confirm it in me? I want you to open your ears, turn your hearing aids up as high as they can go and listen. Slow repentance. Are you listening? Slow repentance is a sure sign of indwelling sin and a rebellious heart. I'll repeat it. If you are slow to repent, it is a sure sign of indwelling sin in you and a rebellious heart. You want to know if you've got sin in you? How quick are you to respond to God's word? Because if you're slow, there's definitely sin at work in you. It's the nature of sin. It anesthetizes you to it. I've said that so many times here. It will slow down your spiritual response time because the sin in you doesn't want to go away from you. It wants to stay there and grow. And it shows that you've got a rebellious heart because God has said, I want you to change here. And you're saying, not now. It's the very same sin that was in the Pharisees and in that crowd. And so I urge you this morning, be quick to repent. Soften your heart. Don't carry on living as if God has not spoken to you. Will you too be described one day when you stand before the Lord as part of that evil and that wicked generation? How many more signs before you repent? 
A third question is this one. And the Pharisees were also guilty of this. How many more signs before your skepticism stops? What do you mean? I believe, no, skepticism about Jesus Christ in all aspects of his work and his life is alive and well outside of the church and inside. What does that look like? Well, it looks like this. Well, you'll have to convince me and then I'll believe. And yes, we are to look for the evidence of what people are saying in Scripture. And yes, it must tie up to Scripture. But once you've seen the evidence, do you believe it? Or do you still stay skeptical and ask more questions? The demand for proof destroys the possibility of faith. Romans 8.24 says that. Hope that is seen is not faith. What do you mean? Well, there are many things here that we read about in Scripture that have not yet happened. What are some examples? Well, one day I know, and praise the Lord, I will be made perfect before Him. I don't see it yet, and I know my wife doesn't. But one day I know it will happen. It's by faith I believe it. You see, when I look at my life, I don't see it. But by faith I believe it. Have you seen Jesus Christ reappearing yet? No, but He said He will, and so by faith I believe it. You see, the things unseen are things that I need to have faith in. And if I'm just going to clamor and hold on to things I can see, I'm not going to grow in my faith. In other words, I'm going to stand still. I'm actually going to go backwards. Because Christianity is all about growing our faith. Our faith in the unseen. Our faith in the promises God has given us. And yes, we look for the evidence in His Word. But then there comes a point when I say, I believe. Now I look forward to what you will do. And can you get past that point to Do you always have to see like doubting Thomas with your own eyes? God wants us to take him at his word in his word. I repeat that. God wants us to take him at his word in his word, not out out of it. And the things which remain as yet unseen are more real than the things we can now see, but which will not last for eternity. The things we can't yet see, that we hope for in Christ, are more real than these things which will one day pass away, which we can now touch and feel. They will pass. They'll be nothing. But will you still have faith? And if you are basing your life on seeing and touching, will you still have faith when it's needed? Hebrews 11 verse 1 says this, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not not seen. I repeat that. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Have we got them yet? No. We're hoping for them. The conviction of things not seen. And therefore, faith does not require signs and wonders. We're back where we started. True faith does not require signs and wonders. Why am I repeating that so much? It's not just that it draws attention to me, to my life, and to the truths that need to work into my life. But, a lot of these people will say, if you've got true faith, then these things will show on you. You will have gold dust on you. Otherwise, you haven't got real faith. Well, the Bible actually says the opposite. Faith does not require signs and wonders. What is it then? 
We have the gospel of a risen Saviour. We have the sign of Jonah. That is all we need. Now we believe. Do you believe? And that is why it meant so much to me to have the youth standing in front of us and stating what they hopefully believed in their hearts. It was what really touched me at the last youth service that we had. Here was a bunch of young people in a world that would not state these things, stating what they believe. And I pray that it was true in their lives. We need to believe. The last question is this one. How many more signs before you stop your running? You say, Calvin, I don't even jog. Why would I go running? Well, you see, we do it spiritually. I'm going to ask it to you in this way. Are you doing a Jonah? Are you doing a Jonah? In other words, are you sharing the gospel with your friends, your neighbors, your family, your colleagues, as commanded by the Lord, or are you running away from your God-given responsibility? See, God has given every single one of us a task to do like Jonah. And if we are not doing it, you are on a boat on the water. You are running away from God. And my question to you is this this morning. Where will you go to outrun God? If God could help a poor guy in the fish in the bottom of the ocean, where are you going to hide? We need to be faithful to the task God has given us. Why? Because one day when we stand before the Lord, He will ask you and I as believers, what have we done with Jesus as His Messiah? What have we done with the message of the Gospel that He gave us to take out to the nations while there was time? And two answers won't cut it with the Lord on that day. Lack of proof is not going to help you. Lord, I didn't have enough evidence. And the second one, Lord, I was scared. I was afraid of people. And so I didn't do what you asked me to do. You see, we don't, do not want God's disapproval on us that day. But if you're going to run from that responsibility, then that is one excuse you'd better start thinking of already. Because God will ask you, what did you do with that responsibility I gave you? John chapter 3 verse 36 beautifully summarizes this passage. Listen to this verse, and I'm going to put it up here for you as well. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. There's the first aspect. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Do you believe in Jesus Christ this morning as you sit here in front of me? The second part is this. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. There's the judgment. you see it? And people are not making this up. This is Jesus saying this. And he'll know, because he's going to be doing the judging. And so I'd urge you this morning to beware of the lie that you need signs to confirm your faith. You do not need signs to believe. You need belief. You need obedience. And they are the only signs that you are to look for in your life. Do you believe? And are you repentant before the Lord? Do you obey quickly? Do you see those signs? 
And all is well with your soul. If you don't, it is very unwell with your soul. I'm going to ask you to stand. You've already seen these words this morning as the youth sang them. And we're going to state these before the Lord as a church. And even if you're standing, if you don't believe this, don't say it this morning. I ask you, don't say it because you'll be lying before the Lord. So I'd ask you to stand. And let's say these words together as a congregation before the Lord. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. He has given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. He is coming back again. We believe. Let's pray together. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank You for this passage this morning which really challenges us whether we believe in our hearts or whether we just go through the motions of belief. Lord, help us in our weakness. Help us when we are searching around for those signs which will, which will help us to understand and to also have confirmation of our faith. But Lord, it shows the weakness in us. It shows that our faith is wavering. And when you said you will do things, help us to believe you and take you at your word in your word. And Lord, I pray for people here who are struggling this morning. I pray for any here that are doubting their faith. May they look to you, the author and the salvation, the, the author of their salvation and the finisher of their faith. May they look to Jesus Christ, God's true Son. And may they find confirmation of their faith in Him. Lord, may they not go to external signs, but may they look to You, the source of our hope, and find their confirmation in You. And Lord, I pray for every single one of us here that we will do what You've asked us to do, that we will take out the message of the Gospel, that we will believe You at Your Word, that we will stay in Your Word and make it part of our lives that we will allow the Holy Spirit to convict us, that we will be quick when He points things in our lives that need to change. We will be quick to have that change brought about in us so that we can glorify Your name. Help us to believe, Lord, because we are so weak in our belief. Help us in our unbelief. We pray.